Hey, everybody. Welcome to Book Circle Online. My name is Lauren LaGrasso, and I'm here with legendary drummer Kenny Aronoff. Stay tuned to hear all of his rock and roll stories. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. (laughs) Hey, so there once was a boy who had a set of drums, a barn, and a vision of being a rock and roll god. He practiced eight to nine hours a day, took lessons, traveled to three different schools just to hone his craft. When he was fired by John Mellencamp for the second time, I believe, he said no and kept growing, going on to be his longtime drummer. He is now one of the most famous rock and roll drummers alive, having played with the likes of Stevie Nicks, Bon Jovi, Celine Dion, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Elton John, Meatloaf, Brian Wilson, and many more. He has held many posts, including the house drummer for the Kennedy Center Honors. He remains one of the most active and in-demand live and session drummers in the music business. And now he's here to tell you all about his autobiography, Sex, Drums, and Rock and Roll. Welcome, Kenny Aronoff. Hi, thank you. You are welcome. Very nice intro. Ah, it's all true. Your resume is out of control. I know. Yeah. You know, when I auditioned for the uh, Pumpkins once, they... the lady at the at the office didn't know who I was. She said, "Could you just send your resume?" And uh, I think I mentioned in the book. It's like when I met her later down the road, they were like, "You completely ate up our fax machine <laughs> for like twenty or forty minutes because kept coming and going. They couldn't yeah. do any other work." So, hey, you know, I, I just I'm, I feel fortunate that I got to make that many records well yeah I don't think it has much to do with fortune as much to do with the fact that you just keep going I mean the the recurring theme through here I think there are a couple Mm -hmm. one you really seem to trust your gut which I want to ask you about Mm. and the other thing is you don't give up you just keep going and going and you have an unrelenting passion and you won't stop until you achieve greatness and you're constantly evolving you believe in Kaizen in that way so, Absolutely. Everything you said is true. I yeah. mean, I feel like I'm a running back in football. You know, they don't score touchdowns every time. They just keep trying. And a, a true, great running back doesn't really pay attention to the score or to his what he's achieving. It's at the end of his career. He then he might realize he's top five running backs ever. His job is to get in the end zone. My job, my purpose as a drummer that I didn't know at the time when I was making all these records, Mm -hmm. but I do know now, purpose of a drummer is really to get the artist's song to be on the radio and be number one. It's not just, you know, I always thought, yeah, beat, time, groove, creative stuff, you know. The big picture is I'm an employee for the person hiring me I'm there to make money for them. Really, if you think if you got a job for Microsoft, why do they hire you to make money for them? So, right. in the money aside, still my purpose is to get that artist song on the radio be number one. Nowadays, I don't know where it's supposed to go to be number one, but that's what it was. And right. um, so, I mean, and I have this line that I think it's in the book: "I'll never be as great as I want to be, but I'm willing to spend the rest of my life." trying to be as great as I can be because I'm not perfect I'm going to fumble I'm going to drop the ball I'm going to get fired and I stood up to John and said no I'm not leaving right and you said you didn't even know where that came from in you it just kind of poured out of you yeah it did that's that's, now when I wrote this book and I've gone back and looked at my life because I don't look back too much I always look forward right well when you're moving at the pace you are I'm sure it's hard to kind of (laughs) look back no time 
I mean, I was late here because I was trying to work work this deal out. Them doing, I hired Sammy Hagar to be in my band. <laughs> as funny as that sounds, for private party, I'm trying to organize the jet thing and the equipment thing, and I've got everything's going through me. So yeah, those are just one little side projects. You know, I've got tons going all the time. Right, and you you play so many sessions. Even still, you have your own studio now, yeah, right? Yeah. And I love that. I mean, you were. I was hoping, and I hope you still will play on my album. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is so Absolutely. cool. So when you came through, I'm like, oh, I have to interview him because this is the guy that my producer Jeff sent my way, and yeah. he introduced you as the greatest studio well, session and touring you. drummer that exists in this world. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> it, it is heavy, but it's true. And you put your own passion into something. How do you control that? Like in between between putting your own passion, putting your own spin on something and staying true to the artist? Well, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm loaded with passion and drive and it's almost like being like a Navy SEAL where they tell you to, to give a thousand percent effort at, in a certain direction mm-hmm. until they tell you to go the other direction. And on a, on a split second, you have to be willing to commit to a new direction. So it's like, because I mean, I'm... No matter, I mean, I've been on over 300 million records sold. Wow. Yeah. That's not how many records I made, but that's how many records I'm on that were sold, like a Celine Dion record that maybe even your producer was on, sold 40 million. A meatloaf record sold 40 million. These numbers are unheard of today. But the point is I've played on a lot of records. But regardless, so like when I work for you, you're the boss. So I listen, I learn, I lead as a drummer, but I'm not the boss. So I, I'm very clear about that. So what I, my job is to understand where you're at emotionally, lyrically, everything, so that everything I do supports that direction you're in. And as we're recording, you might go, change my mind. That's fine. It's your record. I'm there to try to make your end product sound better if I'm playing on it than anybody else. I'm trying to increase whatever emotion or whatever thing you're trying to get I'm trying to make it even brighter more sizzly more darker whatever it is you want that's my job and it's kind of like you're the movie I'm the actor in the movie and I have to decide what my role is I've never heard it put that way I like that yeah so yeah that makes a lot of sense Something else you spoke about in the book that I've actually talked with Jeff a lot about with session players is sometimes session players change the whole trajectory and the whole course of a song and really do a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. Why is it that they don't get songwriting credit? Well, unfortunately, the drummer has, in the way the laws were written, doesn't get credit. And there are songs like like Jack and Diane. I was going to say, you're such a huge part of that. Well, (laughs) that's a perfect example because that song was off the record. We couldn't, we didn't know how to, have you ever written a song, you know it's a great song, but you can't quite arrange it so that it's got... Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, like, that song was just a, you know, there was a little folk song, Little Diddy, Jack and Diane, you know, that's a beat I played, acrostic, you know, not even a big beat, Little Diddy, about Jack and Diane, two little kids living in the heartland or something like that, and then... <laughs> Oh yeah, life goes on Long after the thrill of living is gone Oh yeah, life goes on Long after the thrill 
of living is gone. So that's the song, and we didn't know what to do after that. Like uh, maybe I hit the snare drum instead of caustic. So what, so basically, someone we heard the Bee Gees recording next door in Criteria in Miami, and there was this like it was a drum machine. So it was a Lynn one. Someone brought it in. So mm-hmm. I was like, no way. <laughs> no way it's going to be a drill machine on, on our song Replace Me right I grabbed it I programmed it and, and and then I eventually put this big drum solo on top of it so as far as publishing well I didn't write the lyrics and I didn't write the chords so and the, the law says that, that those mm-hmm. are the writers however in, nowadays in rap music the beat is publishing back then it wasn't and and yeah, and yet I did save the song. I mean, I put the song on the map, and that's a very big part. Technically, should I have gotten publishing? Um, not probably legally, so it's not a law that's... Right, but that's so gray. Well, the bottom line is I didn't. And, yeah. And, and I'm not sitting here with sour grapes. Or it's just, no, that's, no. That's, that's I'm just wondering for future session musicians, I feel like there's something we should do. Like, if I was a session musician, I feel like I'd be picketing about this. Well, yeah, I mean, some people do. Some people are really adamant about it. But, you know, you have to remember, I listen, I learn, I lead. Right. I'm not the boss. Some bosses have been screwed so bad by publishing mm-hmm. or other things that that's just a gray area. When you talk about money with people... Yeah, that triggers a lot of issues. And you talked about that in the yeah. book. With, well, with I got John. scammed. And uh, well, with John, you were saying that he had had some kind of post-traumatic stress with the money situation, and when the band approached him about it, he got really upset. Well, a lot of artists are like you know, I mean, I mean, it's I'm always I'm mentioning this as everybody knows. Billy Joel got screwed. My by, favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Really got screwed. So I don't never discuss money with Billy, but I would imagine. That the subject of money, if someone wants money, and I'm saying I don't know, that would easily trigger an issue. I right. Mean, you know, once you've been burned, I know that the different artists I've worked with that have been through, they've been screwed, so money is a delicate issue with them. Yeah. Understandably. Definitely. So, you know, so in other words, that's a tricky area to broach with an artist or uh, somebody, you know. So... I totally get that. And I and I really appreciated that you were so open in this book about that and mm-hmm. other issues and just like dealing with these high profile people. Before you wrote about them in the book, did you contact them and say, hey, listen, I'm writing this book. I'm going to talk about this. Or did you just kind of like put it out into the universe and see what happened? I didn't talk to them. I did. I just ran into John Mellencamp in Bloomington, Indiana, where I did a uh, an evening with Kenny Aronoff, which is my own solo show. It's speaking, inspirational, performing, motivational thing. It's like a two-hour show with a movie, and it's really cool, and sold out this 630-seat theater. It was really cool. But I ran into him the day before, and, you know, he obviously knows about the book because he interviewed in it. Right. No, I didn't tell him the details of everything I wrote. I feel like the three most difficult challenges for me were the, the divorces and John, because those, you know, I, you know, the question is going to be why did I get divorced? That, that's so I answered it. I appreciated that you were honest about it. Too. I put it on myself, you know, and that I wasn't, you know, honorable in my first marriage, and then in, in the second one, and I'm friends with both the wives. I wanted to um, make sure Liz, my second wife, was felt comfortable with what I said, 
But, you know, it's a little tricky because uh, there's, there's those overlapping things. And I mm-hmm. didn't want her to... I'm the one that... I take credit for messing it up. You know, right. my marriage is up. But, um, but she still was a part of it. And uh, I just... Uh, you know, I discussed it with her, you know. I let her know. With John, I didn't say everything that I was talking about. But you see every situation, I bail him out. Yeah, you do. And, and you say I see from both sides of I it. I do. but I, I appreciate. I totally do now. It's, you, yeah, it's I do. tough. I do now. And then, and I am grateful that everything I got out of being in the with John and the John Mellencamp band, it was, it's phenomenal. Um, I put that, did I have to put that? scene where that that was that bonus money you know so i didn't mm-hmm. say the amount no you didn't i but i wanted people to see that it's not all you know sex drums rock and roll and, and private jets and selling out arenas being in a band is an, is like being in a family and i wanted people to see a little bit of how real it is mm-hmm. and i'm hope that john is cool uh and understands that I'm telling a story, but ultimately I praise him for, for what he's done and my experiences with him. That's the big picture. Right. And at, even at the end of that chapter, when it was a parting of ways, you said, you know, I know that he made my career. Like, without yeah. him, I couldn't be Kenny Aronoff. Yeah. Like, I couldn't be this big presence that I am now. Yeah. So you definitely gave him his due. But I appreciated because I've, def- I've worked with high-profile people, too. And yeah. I know how it is to have those stories. And you want to be honest, but you can't really. Tricky, so tricky. So I appreciated how honest you were. And there was one part in particular. I mean, I earmarked a bunch. But when you're talking to um, John Bon Jovi, I just want to read it to you. Oh, yeah. That's, um, that was, I hope he doesn't mind that I put that in. No, no. I think this was good. It's nice. I, you painted I mean, John Bon Jovi, I've always heard great things about, but great. it was really cool to read this yeah. and see how he is exactly as you think he is. Yeah. Um, but you said this of John Mellencamp. I wish John would appreciate the band more. I mean, sometimes it feels like he's the boss and we're just the band. It used to be more like we were in it together. It's hard sometimes because Mellencamp doesn't seem happy. He's angry most of the time, and I hate it when he gives me shit when I'm trying to do the best I can for his band and the music. The bottom line is I'm always going to play my ass off and be the best I can be, whether John's in good mood or a bad mood, because I want to be the best I can be no matter what, and I want to continue to be successful. I want the band to continue to be successful. I really, really, I, I feel with that one. Yeah, that's the truth. That's exactly how I felt, and I was sharing that with John. Yeah, and John Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi, but John wasn't telling me until years later that actually he was going through a thing with his band which mm. and the, the 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 point that I was trying to make or the point I'm going to make right now is that man would you it's like any relationship everybody can relate to being in a relationship where you're like what am I doing with this person right. and then the next day it's like I love this person yes. and then the next day it's like man you know what can I swear on that here? Yeah, sure. I go can for say, it. fuck this shit, man. This person, what am I doing here? Next day, it's like, God, I love this person. Sometimes you, it's even more intense when it's a creative process, well, I think. Yeah, well, there's also multiple people there. Right. And, and he's going through his stuff. Man, John, I mean, what an artist goes through, it takes a certain kind of personality to want to be. I mean, John was running everything. So I was playing drums, and, you know, I was. 
at being a rock star, having fun on the road. <laughs> but John was doing that, but he was also trying to run the business. So he was dealing with, he was dealing with radio, TV, promotion, publicists, managers, record labels, uh, finances. Uh, everything came through John. He was burnt out. That's why he quit in 1987. And I was like, what do I do now? But And Bon Jovi is very, very involved. John is very involved with his business. He doesn't let other people run it. He's mm -hmm. basically a, a manager of his own you know, his own act. So th these people, it takes a lot to do that, and they're even more extraordinary to do that than to just being the side person. Right. So I understand that now. It said John, even John Mellencamp said at one point, I wish, you know, I would have handled things differently, you know. Right. But we were both young. We were both young and filled with testosterone and very competitive. And if, if any two people in the band... We were like banging heads just because too. we did. It was me and him, you know? Right. You know, it, but, and I'm not telling this story to say, you know, fuck him, you know, and all that stuff. I'm just saying this is how it was. That right? was your perspective. Yeah. And I, why do you think, at least at that point, he couldn't see you guys as one living organism rather than I'm John Mellencamp and that's the band? I, I don't know. I can't answer that. I mean, maybe he felt that was the only way he could do it is to be, it is my band. I make the decisions. I mean, he even said when we talk about the Mellencamp Football League, which I called Mandatory Football League, is that he said, yeah, I'm kind of like, when I say, hey, we're going to play football, I'm basically telling everybody you're going to play football. Right. Do you remember that part? Where he yeah. Kind of, what did he say? He's, oh, I can't remember the words, but... Maniacal dictator or something. I don't know. Something crazy. <laughs> it seemed like he was pretty uh, aware of who he was, yeah. at least. Which you can respect more yeah. when someone is at least aware of their flaws. Yeah. Like, okay, well, they get it too, so we're in this together. Yeah, he, yeah, he called himself the little bastard on the Uh Huh record. He labeled himself that. You know what was one of the craziest moments in reading this was when you guys were playing, I think it was at Stevie Nicks on her concert, and they were throwing things at you? Oh, yeah. That was insane. Was it at that one that he got knocked out by a ne wine bottle? Next one he the got knocked one. out. The next one. No, John was, see, John was smart. I used to go like, God, man, what's he doing? Why is he acting like this? But now I get it. He was further along in understanding how the business worked. Mm -hmm. He was saying, I don't want to play these gigs. These people do not want to see me. They want right. to see the who. Then maybe, maybe Stevie Nicks, but they don't want to see me. And he was right. So when we walked on stage in the afternoon, and, uh, you know. Because you were opening for we, Stevie, right? We were opening for Stevie, who's mm -hmm. opening for the Who. This is a stadium, 80,000 people in Boulder. Those people were like, they were just yelling and throwing shit at us. And it, we were ducking. It was all going into Stevie Nicks' equipment. Soap, tomatoes, food, shoes, anything. Half drunk beer bottles, wine bottles. Who had soap in the audience? Did they bring it in anticipation yeah, of not of like that's so well, th weird? But this is what blew me away. The the next show was in Arizona. Well, there's only three of them, and um, three of these shows. Three of these yeah. shows opening for the Who, and we stuck around, um, and I watched when the Who got on. They threw even more shit. It was like oh. So maybe they like you. That's what they do. <laughs> That's what they do. There you go. Because, uh, you know, Roger Dalton was whipping the mic around, standing there with his chest out, cocky like a, a rooster, while shit was flying by him left and right. He didn't, like, flinch. It was just, that's what they do. Oh. And Twistle was bouncing bottle rockets off his base. 
we were like looking at each other like holy shit we were all emotional and how dare they do that and they knocked John out and then we found out how dare they do that they gave us like only one tenth of what the who got that was their thing that was oh, like, I got it and you know mosh, moshing became popular throwing garbage at the man was ha- happening at that time wow I just didn't know it I I can't imagine, but hey, whatever floats your boat. If that's okay. how you enjoy yourself, throw some soap. My God. Well, soap, yeah. But I was <laughs> get on, clean. I was on tour of Vasco Rossi, and I went in the audience to watch Alanis Morissette because a lot of my friends were there. I love her. One hundred and twenty thousand people, and Vasco Rossi. For the people who don't know who he is, he's like a god. Five decades god, and and he sells out stadiums. He can sell out Milan Stadium. Four shows in thirty minutes. I'm talking about eighty thousand times four in four in thirty minutes. That's how big it is. So I toured with him for a summer. I think I left No, it's in the book, but what happened in Italy, I left out of the book. Uh oh. Boy, and then would he you said, guys like to hear that? That was like the highest Can you give us a hint? No one's watching. <laughs> Let's just talk about that was in, <laughs> under the subject of the first word of the title of the book. Sex, guys, sex. So yeah. there was lots of sex. There was. And I was, <laughs> you know, it wasn't my fault. Hey, it rarely is, it right? Rarely, right. When you're the uh, drummer in an Italian, in Italy, it's not your fault. You're innocent. Let's just put it, some girl came up to me, who's an artist, and her name is Nympha. Maniac. Yep. There, right away, gives you an idea that something might have happened. Something might have. So, you know, it was Italy's my favorite country. Oh, I'm 100% Italian. Good. Welcome to me. <laughs> well, maybe you should stay over there then. Oh, man, I've never been. You haven't? I've never been. Let me just put this way. When I landed, I, I spent the whole 13 hours flying there, writing charts, thinking we might go to rehearsal. Rehearsal when we landed, I was right. Exhausted as soon as I landed. Swing. I was like, Dunk. I was feeling the heat and the vibe, the sensuality of Italy. Wow. Oh, man. It, you know. There's an energy. There was one, this is not in the book, but I'm driving back. I missed dinner. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm driving back. And uh, the girl who worked behind the desk wasn't supposed to be taking me somewhere to have dinner because she works at the desk. I said, I said, Alexandra, where, where can I get some food? I, I was I was writing charts. It's 1030. She says, Oh, darling, I take you. I take you. You meet me out there. Go to have the dinner. And on the way back, she's driving like this, and she's looking at me goes, Kenny, darling, I ask you a question. I'm like, sure, what do you want? She says, I need to know, is it okay that I sleep with you tonight, but no sex? I'm like, what? You're asking a guy, an American guy? That's such an Italian thing to do. Yeah, right. I sleep with you, but no other sex. I'm like, well, one in Rome, do what they say. I said, okay, I, you sleep with me and no other sex. So did the second part hold? Well, I can't, I, I don't know. There's <laughs> people are going to be, see, um, I don't know. I don't know either. That's I why I know. asked. But I'm just saying, if you go to Italy, you may have a girl come up to you and say, I sleep with you, but no other sex. Okay. Well, if I do, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you or at least you know tweet what? you. Yeah, get my phone. I'll tell yeah. you what to do. Okay. I'll tell you to do what I did or not didn't do. Didn't do. Yeah. We don't know. I know. I don't. Anything know. could happen. Anything over there, 
Dreams are possible. It all happens, sir. <laughs> They're like the live of the moment, you know? Oh, I love that. You know Dude, what? It was the food, the wine, the, the vibe in Italy is unbelievable. All right. I'm going to go. But the, Now, back to the concert. All back right. to the concert. So they were, after every song, they were screaming at Atlantis. Was this in Italy? Yes. In okay. Imolo, they're going, Vasco, 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 and then throw balloons with piss and beer bottles at the band. Even if it was an Italian band, they wanted Vasco and that's it. And I went, that was my first show. I'm like, oh my God. I saw some techs with you know, bruises were bottling them in the head. And every show we did, which was like, I don't know, 34 of them, they threw crap and they'd do the same thing. Vasco, Vasco, Vasco. That's all they wanted was their Vasco. Wow. Crazy, but very passionate. Well, good for Vasco, though. I mean, he's obviously doing something right. I know. A lot. Yeah, they, he's incredible. But speaking of throwing things, okay, this is the scene I was telling you about before we started. You didn't throw this. You, you pulled something down. But there was this great scene in the book where you're at a party, you're a teenager, and there's some fun, like, boppy song going on. Everybody's drinking. And you go to the record player. Oh, California Dreaming. California Dreaming. You take a Jimi Hendrix album... And put on Purple Haze. It was a 45. And a 45, okay. And you are so into it. You're feeling it like oh, this yeah. is the song that feeds your soul. Right. Everything is right in the world. And people turn around and look and you're like, Kenny, what the hell, man? And you got so upset that you stormed out of the party and started tearing down the signs. Now, I love this scene because to me it perfectly, it perfectly encapsulates that feeling when you share a song with someone and you are bearing a part of your right. most inner yeah. self. Okay. And they reject you. And they, yeah, you exactly. You nailed it. That's exactly what happened. First of all, California Dreaming. That was the, you know, we were thirteen, so everyone wanted to slow dance. Do you remember the Kleenex part? No. <laughs> you don't. No. So you say I. That's where I slow dancing. You know, go to have my first feel up a girl. Oh, oh, oh that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and the, the Kleenex, Kleenex they came out stuffing. of her shirt. They called because, it stuffing. Yeah. She was stuffing her bra. He she, went to she, feel her breast, and the Kleenex came out. Yeah, because she didn't have big boobs, and she was. You know, She's trying to make it she happen. She's trying to make it happen. So that was that's it. But the California Dream was one of the songs that we would slow dance to, and I was a huge Beatle fan. I listened to everything on the radio. But when Purple Haze came out, bam! I changed. I went to a next level, and it meant so much to me because just Hendrix meant so much to me. I got it. So when people didn't get it, and I. Went down to the wine cellar. I mean, I you went, stole one of the bottles of wine, right? Dude, this thing had dirt on. It. This thing could have come off the Mayflower. I might have wow. drank a thousand dollar bottle of wine. I don't know. You I, deserved it after that. I did. <laughs> thank God. You. Thank you. So, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. I'm it's drinking true. this thing, and I'm out there, and nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. Just like what you said, they don't get it. I'm frustrated. So I start, I just can't take it. You know, I'm 13, the testosterone is full on. I go start ripping signs down, terrorizing. Street signs, yeah. by the way, Street. which you still have one I of. I have Gravesley Terrace. Gravesley Terrace. It's in the barn. Yeah. Yeah. I was so emotional and so pissed off that they didn't get him. Yeah. 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 I, I totally understand you, you get that. It right, yeah, yeah it's, I think it's the deepest denial of soul when you share a piece of music with someone and they deny yeah, it. That's oh. what happened. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. So, but you took that rage and you you really put it into the drums. I have a question though. So you're obviously you've got so much technique at this point and you've practiced hours and hours. Well, I haven't. A day. I, my technique was gone. I was still only thirteen. Well, when you're a kid, but 
But Later on? Yeah, we're zooming yeah. ahead now. I'm fast okay. forwarding. How do you, like, do you do exercises to keep your arms and your wrists supple? Like, how do you manage that? Because I would think it would start to really hurt. Like, you're not developing carpal tunnel or anything like that, are you? I don't you? have carpal tunnel. Um, but, well, first of all, I, I was lucky. I developed, when I started taking a percussion, for, there was nobody to teach me rock and roll back then because it was... And we had black and white TV back there, no cell phone. No, it right. was, this is the old days. So we, I was self-taught. And then you know, you, when you go in school, they ask you what you want, what instrument you want to play in band. Because and and the teacher sort of knows every instrument a little bit. Sort of taught me how to hold sticks and try to get me to read. I didn't want to play on a little pad. I was playing in a in a band when I was eleven years old. Why would I want to play squeaky with a band with squeaky clarinets and flutes? And You're all. living the dream. Yeah, man. I was in bars when I was thirteen. So I was the alley cats, right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is there was a. The Boston Symphony Orchestra was three miles from my house in the summer. Some kid was studying with me, and he was getting better. So I went, I'm, I got it. You know, I'm very competitive. I went, I'm going to do that. That guy kicked my ass. I mean, I showed up the first day with a hangover because I was a jock too. Mm-hmm. With my kind of energy, I did sports, and then it was music, you know, which drums, which is very physical and athletic. And then the third component of my life was socializing girls. You know, so I mean, so school was fun to hang out. With and you know, my friends and girls, and then playing in a rock and roll band every night in my my parents' barn, and then sports. So I was drawn to this energy thing. So um, the sports thing and the drumming thing went really, really well together. And uh, when I started studying with the percussionist from the Boston Symphony Orchestra, he basically taught me the right technique. When you're playing a marimba, which is a wooden, big wooden xylophone, it's huge. Mm-hmm. The, the, you play with a yarn mallet or rubber mallet, but they don't bounce very well. So you taught you to lift with your wrist. Everything was wrist technique. It's a flick of the wrist, guys. Flick of the wrist, yeah. Then with timpani, we to get the tone out of the drum, we used a lot of finger technique. Mm. So quick tap. Technically, the stick goes down. You let the stick just bounce off naturally, and the fingers bring it back down. Hmm. So you wouldn't do stretches or anything before well, this? Well, I do now. You should, yeah. yeah. I developed into a whole thing. but So that became the two basic techniques of drumming. Also, they tell you to grip the stick here. So and now I grip back here. For people who are listening, it's where do you grip now? Well, I used to grip with the forefinger and the thumb. Now Four I grip my two thumb. back fingers. Got it. And let the, let the stick float. So I started playing with my fingers, wrists, and it developed in my arm, and then it developed in my upper arm, and then my back, and now I play from my belly button. Wow. So full-on, like, martial arts type of playing. Same with my legs. I'll play anything from my ankle to powering from my belly button. That's advanced. Martial arts. So then, you know, I've developed this technique where I can go from the most softest, most delicate stuff Stuff I'll be doing with Neil Diamond coming up in December um, to, you know, the most powerful stuff you could ever imagine. I'm playing from my hands above my head. And so now, though, I have a, um, I have a 20-minute, 30-minute uh, practice routine that sometimes I do three times a day, which in order to play at that extra 3% amazing ability, I have to do that three times a day to be that good. And I have, it's called a functional practice, which is I'm practicing stuff that's specifically to make me sound amazing today. So it's just, it's geared toward yourself. It's almost like you're teaching yourself. Yeah, I've come up with my own system that, that 
makes Kenny Aronoff sound like Kenny Aronoff Pristine. at his best. Yeah. Do you still teach? Occasionally. Occasionally. When, when I have time. This, my lessons are a little pricey, but I, it's because I'm so busy. It's worth I it. Just, yeah, and, and, and I... And uh, it's not just all about how to play the drums. It's a whole mental thing. Because mm-hmm. from this book, I came up with seven ways I believe people can be successful and stay successful in life. The okay. same seven ways that led me to have a successful career. Can we hear them for the folks sure. at home who want to be successful? Sure. The seven ways or keys, self-discipline is the number one. It's where, it's where we all start. Now, self-discipline is basically things you do that you don't necessarily want to do, but get you the results you want. Laziness and self-entitlement is a waste of life. Laziness and self-entitlement is, excuse me, is like a math equation. Zero equals zero. You do nothing, you get nothing. The problem with that is people who do nothing, then they're not taking care of themselves. Someone's taking care of them. And that's not right. That's not cool. Because you're bringing society down. I know it's a heavy thing for me to say, but that's the way I look at it. I think that people, and that's what my seven things is about, is to try to get them to maximize wherever they are in life. Not everyone's going to be Michael Jordan. Not everyone's going to end up being the President of the United States. Not everyone's going to be famous. You could be, I want you to be a rock star, even raising a family. You can always make it better. Self-discipline is the first way to do it. The way I've gotten better and have been successful is from a massive self-discipline, you know, Practicing eight, nine hours a day when you're what? How old were you when you said that? 18. Well, and some of it was fear-based. I was going to college. I felt behind. I I was going to study classical music. But not many 18-year-olds. I don't care. Even if they are scared. I was scared when I was 18. I didn't have that discipline. I didn't learn that until just a couple years ago, I would say. And reading this, I'm like, I need to go even further. You inspired me so much. I'm like, I thought I was working hard. I'm not working hard. But that's great, man. That's what I, I love that part that it inspired you. Um, see, this, once you learn self-discipline once, you know it. Mm-hmm. You can apply it. My, you know where I learned it first? Chemistry, junior in high school. I was terrified of chemistry. Who likes chemistry? But I knew I was going to college, and my family, everyone went to college. So I, I knew shit. I mean, it was just like, I just looked at, I just kind of breezed through my books, you know, because music, girls, and sports were my priorities, not studying I was getting C's and B's but when I got the chemistry I knew I was in trouble and the teacher was very like a marine sergeant they always so I, are yeah <laughs> I know why couldn't Marilyn Monroe or some hot chick but then I wouldn't have learned anything anyway right, you would have been well not in the that. book yeah <laughs> maybe something else scandal it, it would have been sex sex and, and rock and sex. roll no you would have gone around to the rock and roll yeah it would have been sex sex maybe the whole f- Sex, 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 and rock and roll. And rock and roll. With yeah. a side of rock and roll. Yeah. Parentheses. But the thing is, I decided I wasn't going to turn that page that, in, until I understood what was on that page. I was so afraid. And I'd ask help from the guy, the teacher. I got an A on my first quiz. Then I got an A on my second quiz. Then I got an A in chemistry. Now, can you imagine how I felt inside? I felt great playing sports. I got I had a lot of adulation and playing the drums everybody loved look at Kenny go and then um, and everyone liked me I was popular but now my parents and my teachers respected me that was a whole nother warm cool feeling I grew another inch because of that and once I memorized that feeling I went I want that feeling 
again. So I got an A in physics. Then I got an A in, in advanced math. And then, then I knew how to be self-disciplined. And then in my junior, my freshman year at college, you probably remember saying like when everybody was out partying on Friday, Saturday night, I'd work until midnight until they threw me out of the building. Mm -hmm. Then I'd go party. The music practice building. Yeah. Yeah. And I just took that self-discipline. The second thing is hard work fueled by passion and education. Hard work kind of goes in with the self-discipline. If you don't do anything, you get nothing. Whoa. Okay. And then... Um, <laughs> that came fast, right? Okay. So then... <laughs> Uh, passion is I love what I do and education you got to keep learning three is executing a plan that you create so if I a goal would be like to get through college and then get a job in the field that you studied I did that and then I didn't want to be in symphony orchestras which I got into Israeli symphony orchestra Jerusalem and Quito Ecuador so I create a new plan which is to be in the Beatles couldn't get in the Beatles obviously so four years later from self-discipline hard work I got an audition with Mellencamp got into my Beatles became very successful and then the, th the fourth uh, key is uh, communication teamwork. Um, you, Why Kenny Aronoff? I don't get hired just because I'm a great drummer. It's because I have the ability to get along with people, understand people, work for people, team, team player. Like Don was said, I want that guy in my room for my sessions live because he motivates the room. He makes things better. That's why I get hired. You, some drummer could say, well, I play as good as him. Maybe, but... Do you get along with people? Do you know how to run up? Do you know how to work a room? Do you know how to run a show? There's all kinds of other mm -hmm. things. The fifth thing is RPS, repetition. This is a big one. Repetition of anything is the preparation for success. If you want to be good at something, you repeat that motion, whatever it is. If you want to be, be better at eat what you eat, you repeat the motion of eating properly every day, and you will be successful at that. Repetition. Jason Day... P.J. Golfer won seven P.J. tournaments in 10 months this year, practices six hours a day, seven days a week, while he's winning his tournaments. That's what got him where he is. He understands that repetition is the preparation for success. Anybody looking for shortcut, shortcuts? Not going to work. It's not going to work. You're just fooling yourself. People get breaks, but you can't hold it because if you don't have enough experience... If you haven't put in the time, you don't have enough wisdom and experience to hold that position. Number six is a healthy life is a wealthy life. Mental, physical, and emotional health is the most important thing. All the other steps don't even exist. So just basically lifting weights keeps your hormone levels up. That fights off cancer, diabetes, heart disease. Cardio builds your most important muscle in your body, or second most, is your heart. And... Uh, <laughs> The heart goes, you're dead. All right. Uh -huh. you, well, the first word is sex, remember? Yeah. So a third one is uh, is, is uh, flexibility, which is stretching and stuff, which gives you, you know, you've got strength, but now you've got flexibility, which obviously I need. Fourth thing is um, diet or what you don't eat. Try to stay away from processed foods and sugar. That just feeds cancer and all those mm -hmm. bad diseases. Fifth is supplements, which I knew because I travel so much, I can't always get the right food, so I take extra support system and, and immune-boosting uh, stuff like green food and things like that. Uh, this, the fifth, sixth thing is water. Water feeds every organ in your body. No water, you die. Three days. I mean, you know, you need water. Feeds every organ in your body. Uh, the next one is uh, seven is sleep, which repairs your body, which I'm not great at, but I try to, to, to get as much as I can. Sleep repairs your body. And number seven is meditation. Meditation takes care of stress, and obviously stress is no good. And then the okay. seventh key 
to being successful is to stay focused and relevant. Look at this room. They didn't have these podcasts here probably 10 years ago. No. Things change. You've got to stay on top of it. I have a studio. I didn't have a studio, but the budgets changed. People couldn't afford to have me come into a room for two and a half, three thousand dollars a day just for the room. So I have my own room. I don't even charge for the room. You when when you record, if you record drums in my studio, you'll just be paying for me and the engineer. And the prices are way affordable, and they they're in line with the the market where the value and what is what the market can bear. You right. Know, what your wallet can bear. Again, always getting better. Kaizen. Yeah, I absolutely. Love that. Absolutely. You've had an amazing career, but if you had to pick one, what would you say was your favorite moment and why? <laughs> if you had to. If I had to. You have to right now. Oh. I mean, the Beatles no. thing was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that, there you go. Yeah. You're saying Obama inauguration, Kennedy Center honors. I, you know, yeah, the Beatles thing was pretty cool. That was full circle. That was like your childhood dream. Yeah, 50 years Here's later. Here's the thing that I think is so cool about you. A lot of us betray the child that's within us at some point. Like, we go against what that little kid wants. The child will always win. Because yeah. I believe that your emotional structure will dominate and will eventually overpower your intellect. So the you, you can fight it and fight it and fight it, but it's very good to acknowledge you're very smart to acknowledge the fact that there is an adult and child in you the adult talks to the child child's pulling and tugging on you saying i want just like me i got into the jerusalem symphony orchestra everyone is like bravo you can't get in orchestras that easy and i listened to the child the child said no we want to rock and roll i'd rather right. play in a club and everybody went i can't believe you're doing it i even said i can't believe i'm doing it. the adult said that but the child said we must do that and four years, you know, I didn't you'd think I had my doubts, but in the end, the child was right. Yeah, and I think the child always is right, but I respect you so much that you didn't go against that. Yeah, you've only gone further and further toward what that little kid wanted and honoring that yeah. because you know you could. And I think that's a big takeaway from this book that people need to, to look into. What did you want when you were a kid? That was when you were most truthful, most yeah. honest. Get back to that in some form and you'll find your way to happiness. I think you should at least be aware of it so that you know, even if you're denying yourself of it, you at least be honest and say, you know what, right now I can't do that because all of a sudden you have three kids and you're just trying to get food on the table and you go, you know what, what I really want to do is this. But if you ignore that, then you're suppressing emotions it's just you create a sadness in you at least admit it say look at you know what i really want to be a rock star uh but i decide to have three kids i have to raise a family but there's uh, there's at least be honest have a relationship with yourself and feel that that warmth between you and yourself you know yeah. and it won't feel like you're denying and yourself and it'll, it'll prevent anger and frustration yeah and you can be authentic okay real quick I have a little rapid fire for you. So I'm going to name off some people you've worked with and then just first word that comes to your okay. mind, okay? John Mellencamp. Super hardworking artist. John Fogarty. Super hardworking artist. <laughs> Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> Love her to death. Amazing guitar player and singer and songwriter. John Bon Jovi. Love him. Stevie Nicks. Love her. She's authentic. She's a real deal I love in, a, her. in a different way. She's Explain. A, 
She's the type of girl who likes to have a glass of wine, then let's make some music. Whereas other people, it's let's work, which is my way. Work hard, then you earn the right to have a glass of wine. She's all about vibe and spirit and getting close. I mean, God love her for that. She's the she's the real deal. There's nothing unauthentic about her. She's the real deal. All these people are, but she's just a different kind. There's something different. different. Something. She's very spiritual. <gasps> that is so cool to hear. Yeah. Celine Dion. Never met her. You never met her? Never met her and played on two records that sold 40 plus million records each. Never met her. Wow. But I... That speaks volumes. Elton John. Funniest guy and might be the best singer I've ever played with. I mean, John Fogarty's up there too, but I mean, the guy, I've done these shows where I'm the drummer for 26 artists. He's come on and blown volumes off of anybody who sang before him. It's the loudest voice I've ever heard and always in tune. i never seen him make a mistake. That's unbelievable. And funny greatest cool very cool meat love meatball as your mom calls him dramatic <laughs> emotional theatrical I love that I about love him it. I love him he puts it all out he there he does Brian Wilson Ooh, very very deep thinker mm-hmm. very 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 deep but still a child you didn't work with him when he was working with that crazy guy did no, you no no Je- you know Jeff worked on that album he did yeah I'd like to hear about that. Wild. Brian here. Just real quick. Brian, I walked in the first day. He didn't look at me, kind of peeked at me and said, he, you know what, he, but I knew he heard everything I said. Talking about communication skills, what I did, I knew you heard what I said. So I talked to the producer as if I was talking to him. And I basically said, listen, I've written the chart out. I've written the program out. You're used to hearing the drum parts that are programmed. I'll start with that, but just keep in mind that I have other days. I have other parts I can play, other ideas. Brian heard that. Later on, he says he asked for that. He liked me enough. He must have liked me because the next time I worked with him, I got a call back. It was just him, his wife, and the engineer. Nobody else was there. And he and I talked together. And But very, very smart. He, he, he knows. He hears everything. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, yeah. Kenny... It has been my absolute honor and privilege to sit with you. I could sit with you for two and a half more hours and talk, but unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. You guys, I'm telling you, this book is amazing. It inspired me in so many different ways. If you love rock and roll, there's so many stories in here. He puts it all on the line. He really is honest. And he is, I'm telling you, as a musician and as someone who's working with an amazing producer, you are the best at what you do. You. You've achieved all your childhood dreams. I look up to you so much. Oh, thank, you. thank you for coming in and sitting with me Absolutely. and definitely get this book, Sex, Drums, and Rock and Roll by Kenny Aronoff. You've got some live performances coming up too. Can we see those on your website? Do you have a website? I don't place a lot on my website. Sometimes I don't want people following me around, but I do put it when I'm doing it. But I'm going to do something with, I'll do the James Corden show. Oh, James Corden. Yeah, I'll do it with Neil Diamond on December 14th, December 16th. I'm doing something in New York with Billy Gibbons for the uh, veterans. And I'm doing something with Paul Simon, I think, in Nashville in January. I'm doing stuff with Fogarty all the time. That you can see on his website. Bodine's 29th and 30th in Chicago and Minneapolis. And uh, 
That's all I can remember. It changes almost. Oh, Sammy Hagar, but that's a private party. That's a private party. You're not invited. But he will be having a great time there. Oh, I will. And you can follow him at Aronoff Official. So check that out. On Twitter. On Twitter. What's the Instagram? Instagram's just Kenny Aronoff. My website uh, is www.kennyaronoff.com. And Facebook is, I have a, well, my personal one got tapped out years ago. But, you know, my my name. The fan page. Like the fan page. Yeah. You, thank you so much, Kenny. You're welcome. You're awesome. Thank you. And I, I can't wait for you to be on my album. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Book Circle Online. My name is Lauren LaGrasso. You can find me at Lauren LaGrasso, and we'll catch you next time. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.